Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Stoops. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. All right, it may be a blizzard <laughs> here for me, but it's sunny in Anaheim, is oh it not? <laughs> sunny Milano turns uh, out to be the uh, Anaheim Ducks uh, legend to mm. become uh, after the Ducks got him at the deadline. Uh, obviously, we have to break down some of these deadline moves a bit more, but uh, man, what a, what a debut for the, that guy. I mean, we, we expected Devin Shore was going to get traded, uh, but yeah. did not expect whatever return we were going to get for Devin Shore to pay immediate dividends in uh, in a debut two-goal effort for Sonny Milano. Yeah, for sure. I think it's uh, kind of a, a little bit of a combination of uh, both uh, needed a little bit of a change in uh, scenery, um, but uh, I'm more than happy with what we got and uh, it showed in that first game. <laughs> exactly. Well, we got to break down those trades, I think, probably before we we go over at least the Edmonton game, um, mm-hmm. we'll we'll start the show with the Ducks versus Vegas game that we have to kind of get back to uh, the six five uh, OT loss. Uh, mm-hmm. Just an insane game to watch, back <laughs> yeah. and forth. Ducks were down five three, three minutes remaining. A uh, couple empty net goals, both by Adam Henrique, who's just on an absolute tear right now with six points in his last two games. And uh, the former Ducks come back to bite Anaheim in this game. Uh, William Carlson gets a hat-trick in regulation. And then Shea Theodore gets the OT winner. 
Uh, a yeah. tough one. A tough one. I, I, you know, I liked their fight back in, in the end of that game wow. and, and coming back and at least getting a point out of that game. Obviously, the point doesn't matter much for the Ducks yeah. right now as, as two points matter for, for the Vegas Golden Knights. But that effort is, is something we haven't seen too much this year, especially against a good team like Vegas. So, you know, there was there's some highs and lows in that game, but obviously Adam Henrique having a four-point night and Nick Ritchie in his what happened to be his last game for the Ducks had two goals and two assists. One of probably his better games of his entire career with Anaheim just happened to be his last. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's kind of a little a little beneficiary of uh, a couple of those goals. He kind of landed like right to him, and uh, he just happened to know how to put it in the net this time. Um, yeah, this game was, was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of ebb and flows and kind of like uh, but i mean the fact that we got five goals out of it they were able to come back uh that was fun especially since we were shut out the game before and then the game before that we only scored one goal so you know we're starving for goals and then it, it didn't look like it was going to start off all that good and then just uh, with i think like half a second left in the first that was enough to kind of at least you know give us a little bit of hope that maybe the game's not totally lost but, uh, yeah, it was really weird. A lot of former Ducks getting a lot of goals. And then some guys you didn't really expect to get a whole bunch of goals as far as uh, Richie and even Devin Shore uh, scoring yeah. a goal. Guys that we he don't normally see. He gets one in his last game, too. Guy, a nice send-off for the two of them. Yeah, right. I mean, they upped their value, apparently. <laughs> that <laughs> clearly, wanted to get them all of a sudden. Clearly, so. Devin Shore upped his value with that late goal. That one goal. <laughs> uh, let's let's get to the trades because we haven't had a, a public show where we've broken these down. Some of you listening yeah. were on for our Patreon show uh, where we broke down not just the Ducks trades, but uh, pretty much all the big trades uh, and trade deadline and a couple that happened before. Uh, but we'll break down the trades a bit more in detail. Um, the last show we did publicly, me and Jason were both on the show for that one, and we looked at who could be traded for the Ducks. And yeah. a few of the guys we thought could be traded were traded. Uh, and there was a few surprises thrown in there too. And I, and I think you know we'll get to Nick Ritchie um, after the first trade. I think that was the big surprise. But first yeah. trade of, of the day, Derek Grant traded to the Philadelphia Flyers for a fourth-round pick. And uh, AHLer AH Kyle Chris Cuolo, I think is is how it's said, but um, nailed it. Yeah, we'll we'll go with that. But a, a nice <laughs> nice depth and, and some some support for San Diego, and then yeah. it's the fourth round pick that comes back. I know we kind of bounce between a third and a fourth is what Derek mm-hmm. Grant probably would get. I think it's fair value. You know, he mm-hmm. he did. Yes, he had fourteen goals, but he only had twenty points, and yeah. he is a fourth line player. He does a lot of things well, but. Outside of Anaheim, if you look at his career, he hasn't had success. So I don't think the Flyers were ready to cough up a third-round pick for him. But, you know, the Ducks had given up their fourth-round pick to get Nick DeLore. So essentially, they get that back yeah. uh, by trading Derek Grant. So it's not the worst trade. I mean, he's an unrestricted free agent. You, you needed to move him to get something, and you get a fourth-round pick where I have confidence the Ducks uh, scouting staff can at least do something potentially with that pick. Yeah, and uh, you know, I just hope that once again that conversation with Derek Grant was had between him and management, just like, hey, you know, gotta let you go. Do what you can. See if you can win a cup. We want nothing but the best for you. And I would think, obviously, we'd really like you back because we loved everything you did. But at this point, we can maybe get some value and then talk, you know, in the summer. And uh, I know we'd love to have you back as long as it wasn't, you know, he doesn't get pissed that they traded me again. And sometimes that can affect uh, players. So. You know, we'll see. Uh, even if, if it doesn't really happen, you know, it's disappointing, but uh, it was kind of a, you know, a necessary thing for a team that's trying to rebuild and stock with a little bit more of the draft picks. 
Yeah, the, the Ducks didn't have too many unrestricted free agents, and I mean, the most of them we thought were actually going to be gone. Michael Delzato actually didn't get traded. Yeah, which that was, was uh, a bit it was surprising. Prime to go. <laughs> well, yeah, considering the Ducks did bring in two other left shot defensemen, you you would yeah. think that Delzato being an unrestricted free agent and, and probably having a bit more value than what the Ducks got for him last year in a six round pick and that somebody would take him uh, clearly not or maybe Bob Murray just didn't want to move him who knows uh, but he didn't end up going but a guy who did end up going and probably the biggest surprise of the day was Nick Ritchie got traded to the Boston Bruins which I think is a great fit for him in the way he plays and, and the fact that he's not going to be asked to play a major role there when you look at the the players in front of him including Andre Kasha uh, yeah. this kind of felt like a, a follow-up to that deal but the Ducks get Danton Heinen in return uh- a uh, a bit more of a productive player points wise than Nick Ritchie has. Obviously, people have pointed out that Heinen for most of those years did play occasionally with Patrice Bergeron, so that does inflate that a bit. But the first two years of Heinen's career were would both be career highs in points and, and I believe goals as well for Nick Ritchie. So he he comes in as a a bit more of a productive player, a bit more of a defensive player than Nick Ritchie. But maybe it's it's a change of scenery here, and we we had some. Some comments from uh, Bob Murray that we'll get to later on that yeah. Nick Ritchie trade, but that's that's kind of what it felt like with this deal. I I love it just for the lack of penalty minutes we'll incur at the stupidest times. So <laughs> that's the uh, big you know, win. What, yeah, once once again he can go out, you know, do great with Boston. I'm not going to be like, oh man, why do we get rid of him? He's so good. It's just it was ne- it, it, we've given him more than enough time, and we've seen enough of these penalties, and uh, you know, and he's a big guy, and you know, he fits that mold over there a little bit, the big rough and tumble. So you know, let him have success over there. We'll kind of stick with our guy, and you know, see where we can go from there. But that that experiment was was given a, a long process to to kind of hopefully happen and it never did so you know nice trade both go their own ways a lot of, we had a lot of those just you know it was nice thank you we'll just we'll, we'll go this way just different different person yeah and, and one thing we mentioned on the patreon show was there's a lot of i guess people that were either loving that nick richie got traded or absolutely hated that nick richie got traded and i think they didn't like what they got in return they thought they should get another yeah first rounder or yeah or even even just a you know a pick a second round pick something when you look at the the value that some of these players are going for and the fact that nick ritchie is is not making a ton of money and has some term that there was that argument that maybe you could have got a second round pick for him and then there's also the argument why are you trading one of the you, you know your best play drivers uh when you you go and kind of dive into the analytics side um, to, to kind of tackle the first side of that argument with why would you not you know take a second round pick for Nick Ritchie? If you look at some of the Ducks' most recent second round picks, it's going to take him about three, four, five years to make it to the NHL. You know, you look at Benoit Olivier Gru; uh, he's in his third season since being drafted. He'll be in the AHL next year, so they make that four years, and maybe he makes the Ducks the year after that on the fifth year. And and you know the Ducks don't have that time, I don't think, right now to wait on a guy like that. You know, you'll take a first round pick with Andre Kasha because you can, you know, bank on potentially a first round pick making it a bit sooner. Look at Isaac Lindstrom, you know, look at Sam Steele, um, you know, look at Jacob Larson, you know, their their turnaround was a bit quicker than a four to five year period. So you'll take the first round pick, but a second round pick, especially a late one from a team like Boston, you're looking at more of a, a guy who's projected around the third round. The the Ducks just don't have the time to wait. And you bring in a player like Danton Heinen who can play now. It's a bit more disciplined than Nick Ritchie is, defensively responsible, and is not required to be your best play driver. Nick Ritchie should not be 
your best play driver. And the problem is, you know, even if he is your best play driver, the production isn't there for Nick Ritchie. So the, there's there's a disconnect there where he's driving play, he's using his side, his size, he's you know, he's got the puck possession going on, but there's no finish there. And, and there's no, you know, distribution from him. The points aren't, aren't getting put on the board. So there's some disconnect there between being a good play driver and being a point producer. Yeah, I mean, eventually it's what's on the board, and the the one thing he can consistently put on the board is penalty minutes. And so, I mean, at some point we're we're over it, and we're we're tired of waiting for that. So, you know, it'd be tough to even get a second rounder for him because he really, even though the underlying things are there, eventually they're going to go. Well, well, what? How many goals has he scored? That's it. Yeah. Really? Okay. Uh, no, we're we're not going to invest heavily you know, on future draft picks for, for someone who hasn't really ever proven that he's a legitimate goal scorer. And, and you know, I was one of the people that thought Nit Ritchie got a, a bit of a bad rap in Anaheim for being, you know, a former 10th overall pick. And, and, you know, a lot of us, you know, myself included, couldn't get past that for a long time and, uh-huh. and what the Ducks could have got. You know, everybody goes back and looks at that pass yeah. for was drafted like 15th overall or something, or even in the late 20s. I can't remember exactly where Pasternak yeah. was drafted, but him or Darryl, Dylan Larkin went in, in the mid-teens. Like, that's what people always kind of go back and look at. And you look at Bob Murray's comments on Nick Ritchie. Uh, he said, we let teams know that he would be available for a while. Some players at different times need a change of scenery. We felt at this time that Nick should have a change of scenery, and then that's how this deal came together. I, I think that's exactly how I kind of feel about Nick Ritchie. Um, it, it was never going to happen in Anaheim. He could be a consistent – he was a good player. Like I'm not going to say he was a bad player, yeah. but it was never going to live up to the expectations that people had for him when he was drafted 10th overall. And, and that was always going to be a hurdle he would have to get over here. And now you go to Boston and, and you don't really hear about that because you know their fans don't have that kind of PTSD with you missing yeah. out on, on some of those players <laughs> in, in that draft. Yeah, that expectation level for him. I mean, they they want him to come in, fill in, you know, a role down there. And, you know, uh, once the playoffs start going, maybe his guy's a little bit rough and tumble in there. And, you know, it fits their style maybe a little bit better without the expectation of having to carry part of the team. Because Boston's got, got that part on lockdown. He's just secondary support after that. Yeah, and I like more what Danton Heinen could bring to this team. I think, you know, he, he's not as good of a play driver he's a bit more of a defensive forward when you go in and you dive into the analytics side of it uh, but he he is a a good smart player and i think he's a nice role player for a team down the road when the ducks are looking to be competitive again you know if his game develops a little bit he could be a very good third line player for this team that I, you know, I, I like the move, and you don't have to worry about putting him out there in an important situation and taking a bad penalty, right? Like that's that's the issue that you know we had with with Nick Ritchie is you know, when can we put this guy out there? Can we put him out there in the last three minutes if we need a goal? Is he going to take a bad penalty? Um, you know, you don't have that worry. You know, it's it's early, but you don't have that worry with Danton Hine when you look at kind of his history and, and what he's done with the Bruins and. You could argue that maybe down the road the, the production will be there a bit more than it will be for, for Nick Ritchie. And it's 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 tough to say that after Nick Ritchie's last game was a, a four point effort and, and Heinen, as as great as the assist was, had a you know a pretty mediocre night uh, on his debut. Yeah, I mean the biggest uh, the saddest people are gonna be all those people who are on uh, Forever Mighty three stars and have to guess who's gonna take the first penalty of the game. 
you know, because that was that was a pretty good lock when it was Richie, but now it's it's anyone's guess. So <laughs> we actually we had somebody kind of reach out and and mention that, saying uh, yeah. they're they're disappointed now that that easy uh, that easy guess isn't going to be there because now it's anybody's guess. Who's going to take <laughs> yeah, the first right. penalty for the Ducks? It, it really it really could be anybody. Yeah. Um, let's get into. I said the Nick Ritchie trade was the most surprising. I think you know, the Devin Shore trade wasn't surprising that he got traded. We kind of speculated he could be on his way out. You know, he was scratched for a ton of games this year. He's a, a restricted free agent at the end of the year. But the fact that they got something as valuable as, as Sonny Milano, and, and I don't want to say Sonny Milano had a ton of value, but just we thought like maybe Devin Shore could get a fourth or a fifth round pick if the Ducks are lucky. And, and they go out and get a guy, you know, we talk about Nick Ritchie needing a change of scenery. They get a guy in Sonny Milano who definitely needed a change mm-hmm. of scenery away from Columbus, fell out of favor with John Tortorella, fell out, fa- fell out of favor with the team in general. But this is a guy who was 16th overall pick not too long mm-hmm. ago. He's only 23. He's got plenty of time to figure things out. He obviously has the skill, has the speed. And, and for him, and from what we've heard from Columbus fans, it was just kind of a commitment thing and a consistency for him to kind of put up that play on a regular basis. But this this is a home run even if it doesn't work out. Like even if he just becomes a, a regular player in the Ducks lineup, a you know a third line maybe energy guy who can contribute to offense every now and then, it's essentially what Devin Shore already was and I was already struggling to do. And then you know you bring in a younger guy who can be here for a while and potentially could get back to that potential that people had for him being drafted 16th overall. Like at one point, people thought this guy could be a bona fide top six forward when he was drafted. So you know that that's a home run right there, just being able to get the chance to have a player like that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of kind of well, at least a little bit of what we had in Sprong. It's like Sprong has the, that ability, that offensive gift that's that's there. But for whatever reason, it just didn't sit quite right with management and how he plays the game. It didn't quite sit right with the head coach. And they wanted him to work on things, and it just wasn't his style. And it kind of fell out of favor. Didn't get a whole lot of chance. I don't th- think he played. I don't think Sprung played for us, or if he did, it was maybe one or two games here and there. Yeah, he played a couple um, games this year, not too many. So, so once again, I think yeah, it's like, hey, if, if you're out of favor with him, we'll, we'll give you we'll give you sure we're really using him anyway. So come on over, let's see what this kid can do. You know, maybe like his style a little bit better. And then once again, Sprong can go have a change of scenery. He's another one that kind of went out, I think, to Washington. Yeah. Um, you know, give give them a chance, and you know, we'll we'll take it because uh, that was a damn impressive uh, start with for Milano so everyone's uh, pretty happy to think about that one yeah I mean we'll, we'll get more into his debut after after we break down the trades and we'll go into that Edmonton game but I mean the, just the effort that you saw from Sonny mm-hmm. Milano on that first goal like if that's the sign of things to come uh, it, it seems like a player that even if he doesn't put up the points is just consistently going to be a just good try. player <laughs> and, and he's gonna if he's gonna put that effort forward on on a night-to-night basis he's going uh, to be a dangerous player for the ducks no matter what he's getting you know put on in, in the best opportunity to succeed right off the bat playing with ryan getzlaff and ricard Raquel. i don't think he's ever gotten an opportunity to play in a role like caliber. that with columbus yeah 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 and and he'll you know add you know 
and hear himself to, you know, become a fan favorite uh, just because of the effort. Uh, you know, for the most part, everyone just loves a guy who's going to put in the effort, is exciting to watch, and, um, you know, is, is constantly trying. That's why people really liked Kasha. That's why people loved Cogliano. And, you know, I mean, at least the effort was there, you know, and if he can have that, fin- uh, you know, a better finishing touch and, and go from there, he very quickly will become everyone's favorite. It's a good start. <laughs> yeah, he's got a great name too, so that doesn't hurt. Yeah, no, I it's it's an easy one to, to <laughs> like. Um, here's another trade I, I, I didn't expect to happen um, because it's not really a big one, and it's just a swapping of, of similar assets, but Corbinian Holzer got sent to the Nashville Predators, and the the Ducks got Matt Irwin, who's basically kind of a similar player, and I would argue maybe Matt Irwin is a, a bit better of a player than than Kerbinian Holsters and they got a 2022 six which it's a couple drafts away and it's a six round pick so it doesn't mean anything but the fact that you're able to get that pick which is probably what Holsters worth plus a roster player for like that I don't say it's it's not impressive but it's at least something like I didn't I didn't expect the Holster to move or for them to even get anything for him yeah it's it's like you had a dollar bill and you trade and you got a dollar and a quarter you're like, oh, all right, all right, I, I can deal with that. I got, yeah. got a quarter out of this. So this is a bit of an bad. upgrade. Yeah, you'll take <laughs> yeah, it. They didn't. All right, I'll take it. All right, you know, nothing bad. I'm not gonna, I gotta downplay it. But uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going like, wow, <laughs> I really tricked them. Yeah. So just yeah, shake it with the boy. He had, a, he, had a, he had a all right debut too. I mean, he didn't look any more out of place than Holzer might have. Um, and that's you know his first time playing and kind of getting used to everything. So. Yeah, he made a couple good plays and and yeah, know, I think he, he was blocking shots. It seemed like, or at least he was he was better yeah. at it. Seem like. Yeah, like I, I think that that's Matt Irwin's bread and butter, and and I'm trying yes. to remember Matt Irwin back when, not when he was a kind of a household name, but when he was a bit more of a a guy you talked about rather than being an in and out of the lineup type guy. But yeah, I, I, I if I remember correctly, that, that was kind of Matt Irwin's game is to be a shot blocker, be a, a just a reliable guy back there that you don't have to worry too much about. Basically, the type of guy if you notice him, then he's doing something wrong. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually just a steady guy. Yeah, let's get to the trade you kind of referenced a bit earlier. Daniel Sprong, you felt like with Sonny Milano coming in that Daniel Sprong's days were numbered. Actually, when the Andre Kasha trade happened, people thought, oh, this this is going to be Sprong's chance to, yes, to jump into the lineup. And, and then Sonny Milano comes in, and you know he's going to get a chance. And obviously the Heinen for Richie Swap, you know Heinen's going to play. And basically the spots available for Daniel Sprong filled up pretty quickly. And the Ducks shipped him out to Washington, and they got Christian Jews in return. Another Swedish player. The Ducks were loading up on, on Swedish defensemen in, in, in yeah, the trade veins, deadline here. On. They got I'm Axel Anderson, Kristen Jews, and they ended up getting Joel Person. We'll get to that trade after this as well. But they picked up three Swedish defensemen. So <laughs> just to, to add to the crop here. But not not a bad trade. I mean, Daniel Sprong clearly felt a favor, not just with Bob Murray, but with, with Dallas Higgins as well. Wasn't exactly tearing it up down in, in San Diego. And when you look at the options available for the Ducks right now, on third pairing lefty. Larson hasn't looked great. Michael Delzato we thought would be traded, but isn't a guy who's going to be around long-term. Josh Mahura hasn't really been given the chance yet. So you bring in an offensive-minded guy in, in Christian Jews, and, and you have the potential to you know maybe change the scenery for him. We've, we've mentioned it multiple times already in, in change of scenery, but maybe that is something that works out for him. Maybe he finds a home here. He can be... You know, I guess on this team he's a PP one guy with Fowler and Lindholm hurt, but maybe eventually he could be a power play two guy, where yeah. he is just kind of a, a nice P 
piece to have to put on the power play. I like this move. I don't think Sprong was ever going to get another chance here. So the fact they were able to get a good young player that could potentially be a five or a six defenseman down the road and, and be, you know, an offensive minded one, which is a you know a, a position they don't really have when you look at their blue line. It's a lot of two way guys. It's nice to bring in that that piece that the Ducks really don't have, uh, in, even in San Diego, I guess, other than Josh Mahura. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Sprong might might be able to correct the lineup. I mean, it's they got a lot of good forwards over there in uh, Washington. But uh, obviously, you know, if he, he goes in, he's given a good shake at it. And kind of same thing with Milano. If he's able to to play around with a lot of good other players, then maybe it kind of sparks him offensively. And if he gets a few goals, he can really quickly find himself a home there. And so once again, same thing. He was fun to watch. He's a good player. Hope nothing but the best. I'm not going to feel bad if we got rid of him and he starts doing well. It just didn't look like it was really going to happen here. And so to get someone that's an offensive defenseman, um, you know, let's let's take it. Let's see where, where that goes. Uh, uh, obviously, he wasn't uh, going to be cracking much of the lineup there in Washington. Let's give him a chance over here because uh, you know, our defensive core is uh, – it's all right. I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. I, I, that's that's how I describe it. And and the thing I think is important is people kind of ripped Bob Murray's comments apart when he said he was looking for power play help and guys who could help on the power play. Now he didn't go out and get a headline guy. He didn't get a you know a Kalen Addison type prospect. He didn't go out and get you know a top four like a Justin Falk at the beginning of the season. He didn't get that type of guy. But when you look at the three defensemen he brought in, of course, they're all Swedish. But when you look at the scouting reports on these guys and, and kind of what people are saying and what other teams' fans are saying about these guys, these are offensive defensemen. Christian Jews is an offensive defenseman. Joel Person is an offensive defenseman. Axel Anderson and his scouting report is an offensive-minded defenseman. Now, they're not elite-quality guys, but they are offensive-minded. And how many prospects or players in the Ducks system out of defensemen, could you say are offensive-minded? You could argue maybe Josh Mahura is. Maybe. You could you know, say with the production Chris Weidman's had, maybe he is offensive-minded, but in the NHL that's really never kind of been his role. The Ducks added three defensemen to their system who are clearly offensive-minded defensemen. And, and and they added in a spot they didn't have, which is which I think when you look at you know some of the guys they shipped out, it, it, it is nice to add those types of guys to your system when you don't already have it. They're not going to make a huge impact, but I like I like the moves, and, and I kind of support that argument that Bob Murray has that you know you've got some defensemen who could uh, could help you on the power play now rather rather than some of the guys you had before. Uh, <coughs> sorry, um, yeah, and if you kind of think back to the the beginning of the season, one of the biggest difference between last year and this year with the coach is uh they get the green light to kind of jump into that play to keep the puck in go down low you know if you have that opportunity uh and i think uh you know we 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 had a lot of those offensive guys for a while your your vatnins your montours your teodors um and we had a lot of those guys and then you know piece by piece they started going away we started getting more of the the heavier guys or the two-way guys and you know all of a sudden we got a new coach new style and it's a little bit more offensive, but we don't really have the the the, uh, the guys that are going to match that skill set. So I, I'm wondering if like part of it is, you know, 
you know, a conference between you know uh, Dallas Aikens and Bob Murray. It's like, listen, this is kind of what worked a little bit better in San Diego. This is how I think the team can kind of run and be productive. But I don't really have those guys. I I've got Holzer. I've uh, you know I've, I've got Manson, which you know is he's, he's not very fast, very offensive minded. I got Lindholm. He's kind of in there. But other than that, you know, Gooley's in and out every now and again. So it's like. Maybe that has something to do with it a little bit, trying to get maybe those offensive guys that are going to be your five, six, and maybe focus more on offense than instead of more on defense. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, and I think, uh, you know, bringing those guys in, you know, likely they're all not going to make a huge impact with this team. No. Christian, you know, if everything pans out for them, they're all probably five, six guys. Like Christian mm-hmm. Hughes is a five, six, Axel Anderson is projected as a 5-6. Some people think if he figures it all out, you know, he's new to the North American game. This is his first year in, in North America playing in the WHL. Maybe he could be a 4 uh, out of a stretch. I think it's a bit of a stretch, but there's that potential there. Uh, and, and Joel Person, in the same breath, he's first year in North America for him as well. And, and you know, Bob yeah. Murray likes to take bargains on some of these guys. You know, they know the Swedish defenseman. They, they clearly, that is something they favor. Scout it heavily. <laughs> and, you know, you, you can take a chance on one of these guys coming over in, in their first year. Maybe they figure things out down the road and, and surprise you a bit. And when you look at what they gave up for them, uh, it, it's not too much. Obviously, Axel Anderson was part of the Andre Cassio deal, so it's hard to kind of just judge uh, Anderson value at, on its own without the pieces that were also involved in it. But, you know, Joel Person was traded for Angus Redmond and potentially a seventh-round pick if he plays 25 games for the Ducks next year. Like, yeah. You know, if he if he plays 25 games for the Ducks next year, that means he's doing something where, something right, yeah. or or there's a ton of injuries. But hopefully, it means he's doing something right, and, <laughs> and he's become a, a decent piece of this team. So, and and all you had to give up for that is is a seventh-round pick. So, uh, you know, all in all, I I like what Bob Murray did. He didn't force a big move. You know, Josh Manson has term. Silverberg has term. If you wanted to move one of these guys, you didn't have to do it at the deadline. You can wait and see, you know, how the rest of the 20 games go here and, and what kind of value you get at the draft and, you know, base your decisions on both of those factors. And then if you want to move them, you know, at the draft or in the summer, you have that option then. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's kind of an unusual day uh, for that uh, trade deadline for Anaheim fans because this is the most deals we've done on trade deadline day in franchise history. And I think there was like a total of eight or something like that. They did six so, on, on deadline day, and then the cash one was the day before, so they had seven. Day before. Yeah. So, so yeah, before. so I mean, yeah, it was good. You know, like you said, it was doing, you know, no headliners other than Caution and Richie a little bit. But, um, you know, you're not going to usually get too many headliners for the most part while you're trying to get into a whole rebuild situation. You're trying to move minor pieces around and get those draft picks and try and restock where you can. I guess it's eight total acquisitions because they did pick up Agazino from Pittsburgh on waivers, and he played in in, in the game against Edmonton too, and then the Andre Casha trade happening on the 21st. So eight total acquisitions within you know the 21st to the 24th, fourth for the Ducks, which is like you said, something we don't really see. They weren't headliners, but you know the Ducks always make a move on deadline day. I think it's 15 years in a row uh, that yeah. they've made a move on deadline day. Never, they're never big moves, but this yeah. year it felt like you know Bob Murray wanted to do something, and, and you know. Yes, it was shuffling of deck chairs, and it, and it wasn't a major move, but he did something. He, he did more than enough, I think, to at least change this lineup a bit and wasn't prepared to kind of move on from some of those guys just yet. I think he wants yeah. to use 
you know, bring in a couple new guys, see how they do, see how the young guys do, and see how the core guys between like 25 and 29 on this team respond. And then you can make a decision, you know, in the offseason and whether, you know, which guys you want to keep around, which guys you aren't impressed with, the direction you want to go with this team. You know, Bob Murray made a comment that I think somebody asked him, like, where are you in the rebuild right now? He said, I don't know. You know, it, it, it all depends on how they play for these rest of the 20 games here. And, and we'll make a decision based on that. And, and obviously who they get at the draft kind of goes into that too. But I really think these last games of the season here are, are going to make a decision for Bob Murray and what he does with, with some of these players, you know, some of these core players on the Ducks in Manson and Silverberg and Fowler and Raquel. You know, this is this is a time for them to either prove they belong here or prove to Murray that he needs to move them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a little bit of a tryout. You get a long um, training camp, if you want to call it that, but against some uh, uh, teams that are you know going to be coming in and looking to to try and get to the playoffs. So th- that should be a good test. I mean, you're going to have good competition for people that want points. You know, take it away from them. Exactly. Well, let's let's get into this Oilers game because we kind of left it a bit because of all the trades and the and the turnover in mm-hmm. the lineup between the Vegas game and the Oilers game. Uh, yeah. The lines were definitely different. Heading into the game against the Oilers, Sonny Milano took over the top spot with Getzlaff and Raquel. Jones was there the last game before this. He moved down with Steele and Silverberg. And uh, Danton Heinen took over Nick Ritchie's spot with Adam Henrique. And with Troy Terry getting sent down to San Diego, Kiefer Sherwood played with uh, with Heinen and Henrique. And then uh, uh, Andrew Agazino took over Derek Grant's spot between Nick DeLore and Carter Rowney. And then the blue line was relatively the same. Lindholm started the game with Manson. Larson moved up to play with Delzato. And then the two new boys in Kristen Juice and Matt Irwin yeah, like played that. together on the third pairing. Actually looked pretty pretty decent in this game. But, you know, I actually, I like these lines. You've you got Heinen and Milano jumping into top six roles, playing with the Ducks' two best centers. And, and you've got, you know, Jones, Steele, and, and still getting a chance to play with Jakob Silverberg and, and still having a productive player to play with. I like, you know, spreading out the offense, having – a makeshift shutdown line in, in Henry yeah. Sherwood and Heinen. I, I liked what Dallas Akins did to introduce these new players into the lineup. Yeah, my, my hope is that not much changes because, uh, I mean, the Edmonton Oilers are absolutely desperate for points. They they got Connor McDavid back. I mean, Dreisaitl still scored. There, there's still things to work out, but um, considering all the new faces that showed up for this game, I like the style that the Ducks played. And, um, you know, sometimes that's even better where it's just bringing a whole bunch of new people. They don't have a whole lot of time to get used to what the style is or, or what the, uh, the attitude is, and they're just bringing their own game. And sometimes that's that's really nice to see, and it was really nice when we talked about Milano because it was just fun to see that that tenacity after the puck it, it you know it makes you kind of forget about kasha a little bit just yeah. you know he has the same type of uh you know a dog chasing a ball it's just like i gotta get it i need to go get it i need i need to i want to play with this i want to go <laughs> and uh you know it showed in the, the first day in last goal just smart little plays yeah it was just nice to see an effort from everybody on the team i mean obviously the effort from milano on the first goal even before that goal like he was hard on the four check he was winning puck battles he was creating turnovers and then on the goal he created a turnover got the puck um and then kind of fought his way through a few guys a couple pokes at it and then ends up poking it past i think it was a net for the oilers was it uh it was a smith, smith? It was yeah smith. so poked yeah. it poked it past smith but just the effort to to kind of keep 
the play alive on that, create the turnover that I ended up poking at past Smith. Like that's what you want to see from a guy who's not only making his debut with the team, but has been given a great chance to play on the top line and get big minutes with Ryan Getzlaff and Ricard Raquel. I watched that play and I'm just like, if it was literally anybody else, maybe with the exception of Kasha, that as that puck starts to go away, that person stops trying. Yeah, that's just like, dead. oh, there, there it goes. All right, it's a little too far. I'm not going to make an effort. I'll, I'll kind of see who gets it and then where I need to go. And this guy's just like, nope, nope, I want it. I want it. And he's just going after it. And that's, that's, uh, that's a, a mindset I don't see too often with the Ducks over the last couple of seasons, and I really hope it's infectious and it starts going to everybody because that, that want to go get it and not a wait-and-see approach is uh, when the Ducks are at their best. Yeah, and and one, you know, I, I think everybody in this game, especially the new guys, kind of had a chip on their shoulder. Sonny Milano has been kind of cast to the wayside in Columbus. They're coming in and they need to prove that they belong. And, you know, one guy, when you look at all the defensemen coming in, Juice coming in, Irwin coming in, you know, a few guys getting hurt. Larson gets bumped up to a top four role he really hasn't had this year. It really felt Larson kind of took advantage of this game and said, hey, like, I need to prove that I belong here. We've, we've got some new guys coming in. You know, they're, they're, they could be fighting for my position in, in that bottom pairing. And you look at the play he made to get Nick Delore the puck uh, on the second goal of the game. Like, that is a play I don't think I've ever seen Jakob Larson make. Like, he's always yeah. kind of had that potential, we thought, but the fact that he got the puck behind the net, took it all the way back to the blue line, skated to the other side of the ice, blew right by one of the Oilers <laughs> players, and then fired a strike across Nick Delore. All he had to do was just get a stick on it and fire it past Mike Smith. Like, that is <laughs> that is what we've been waiting for from Jakob Larson, and, and whether it's the new guys coming in to push him or, or just kind of the energy around the locker room right now, like, that is what we need to see from Jakob Larson uh, on a consistent basis of him just playing at a high level and then being responsible in his own end. And, and you know, this is one of my favorite games that I've seen Jakob Larson play all season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I said, a lot, a lot of people were were playing a, a a different style for a little bit, so it was it was good to see. And especially against, like I said, the, you know, you got Edmonton that can really kind of just just turn it on against you. But I think it went through. They had to get, they went through the first two periods. I don't think Drysaddle or McDavid had a shot on goal chances, but no shots on goals. But yeah. eventually, eventually penalties finally started to factor yeah. in. And uh, once you get the power daily, play, you've got McDavid and Drysaddle out there. It's eventually going to go in. You are in trouble. You're in a lot. Yeah, yeah Dreisel ends up picking up the power play goal. Um, but uh, I want to get to uh, the Henrik goal because uh, we talked about Adam Henrik a bit, um, and he's just been on fire for the Ducks over yeah. the last two games. Three goals, three assists. He's at 24 goals. There's a chance if he stays hot, he could hit 30. It'd be the third yeah. time in his career that he hit 30. He could hit 50 points again this year as well. Um, he, he's just unbelievable. And he's changed my opinion of him, too. At the beginning of the year, I thought he'd be a guy you would trade. And, you know, looking at how Sam Steele hasn't quite developed the way I thought he would, he's become such a valuable player to kind of keep things going for the Ducks here. And Danton Heinen ends up picking his first point up with the Ducks, and it was a nice one-touch pass to Adam Henrique, who just is finding these positions right now, these open spaces yeah. in the slot, and he makes a nice fake to to end up getting the puck past, uh, past Mike Smith. But, man... You you can't say enough about the play of Adam Henrique lately and how he's just kind of leading these teams to points. I mean, he's the only reason the Ducks got a point in the game against Vegas because he had the two goals to bring it from 5-3 to 5-5. Five, five. 
And then he has yeah. a, a, an important goal in this game as well to keep the Ducks in this game, and eventually they end up getting the win in overtime. But, like, Adam Henrique, and, and he sets up the, the, the game winner in OT, too. Like, Adam mm-hmm. Henrique is, is just a key piece of the reason the Ducks are, are scraping points away right now. Yeah, he's 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 subtly a really great player. <laughs> he just it just like it it doesn't seem like much, and then all of a sudden he's in the right spot at the right time, and it's like, uh, you know, if the place out, then all of a sudden it pops out to him, and it's like, oh, you're you know, oh, it's it's Henrik. Of course it's Henrik. It gets to him, and he scores that goal. So that's just what it's felt like lately, where he's he is in the right spot at the right time, and he's got the finish to do it. And if he's not doing it, he's creating a chance that maybe someone else is burying. Yeah, and if we want to talk about confidence in a player, uh, Sonny Milano getting on the power play in overtime uh, and, and then obviously just making a smart play there. That that play between him and Adam Henrique was just so deceptively smart for them to switch positions yeah, there. And then, real quick, yeah. Yeah, and, and he kind of establishes good stick position in front of the net, and then Henrique just gets the pass there and, and he does what any good goal scorer does just has a stick on the ice and redirects it past mike smith and... in a really good spot that's that's not even that that uh, it's it's not an easy little tip in that he does there he actually has to put it between the skate of a tall mike smith and the post you know he's in tight but he put it you know right where it needed to be and then if you also want to give him kudos on another thing he's the one who drew the penalty against Connor mcdavid in overtime to create the power play with a little stutter step usually it's mcdavid doing that to other people and he did it to him so yeah that was uh fun fun to see for him so he, he did a lot of great things that game yeah i mean should the Ducks be picking up points right now uh, when they're you know in in a, a good spot draft wise? Probably not. But it is nice to see, especially a game when you have so many new faces in the lineup, to not only see the Ducks grind out a, a win, but to see the new guys have such an impact. And obviously, especially Sonny Milano. But I think Danton Heinen had a decent game. Uh, Juice and Irwin came in and played all right. I liked Agazino on the fourth line. I thought. He provided enough energy and, and enough effort to, to be a player that could stick around for the rest of the year. So it's one of those games that you kind of write it off and say, uh, I, I, I don't care about draft position tonight. I, I like yeah, no. you know the effort. I like that the new guys are fitting. And, and like you said, there's excitement injected back in the fan base, in the back, back in the team that you know there are a bunch of new faces and, and it kind of feels like a rebirth of the season. Mm-hmm. Obviously the Ducks aren't going to go anywhere in the playoffs, but it would be nice to see them play good hockey. And for these guys who are, especially the important players who came in in Hyde and Sonny Milano to have yeah. good ends to the season and kind of project well for next year. For sure. Yeah. I'm built towards next season. I'm, I'm fine with that. I want to see a couple of wins here and there, especially a big, big game, rival games, things like that. We're playing the Kings or something or whoever, you know, it's just someone, Someone we'd want to beat, those are the ones. Like Edmonton, I love to beat Edmonton. Played Nashville, love to beat Nashville. And same thing with the Kings and the Sharks, you know, just kinda of like to beat those guys. But we don't we are beating Pittsburgh. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cry about that. Or we're not beating Colorado. It's like, yeah, well, they're, yeah. they're really good. That sh- that should probably happen that way. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Pittsburgh, uh, the next upcoming games for the Ducks, it's a, a bit of a mixed bag in, in, in terms of opponents and, and difficulty of the games coming up. you got Pittsburgh tomorrow, which is going, I guess if you're listening to this on Friday, Pittsburgh tonight, uh, it's going to be a tough game. Pittsburgh is one of the best teams in the league, and they've got uh-huh. Sidney Crosby back fully healthy now. So. And they got one goal against the Kings and lost. Yes, and they got shut out by the Leafs a few days ago or last yeah. week. So up and down for for the Penguins, but they are a great team. Yeah. And, and we I think we talked about the Penguins 
probably on the last show on how they just seem to plug and play these guys in and, and the effort is just always there from these guys and you've got these guys who just seem to come out of nowhere for the Penguins and, and just play well so they're they're a team that's never not going to fight in, in these yeah. games so it, it'll be a tough one I'm interested to yeah, see how the Ducks though. yeah I, I'm interested to see how they kind of uh, not rebound but kind of continue the, the momentum from this win and for the new guys joining the lineup in, in the game against the Oilers um, you've got New Jersey on Sunday, Chicago on Tuesday, and then uh, Colorado, which would normally be, you know, I, I, one of the probably the second hardest game of, of the trip of these four games. Uh, but Colorado's just ravaged with injuries: no Ronton and no Kadri, uh, no Grubauer. Uh, so it, it might be a little bit easier uh, of a game than we expect. And and Chicago, Chicago could honestly be the the second hardest game of this trip, the way they're playing lately. Yeah, you know, Chicago's doing well, didn't they? I think they just beat Tampa Bay tonight, like 5-2 They, won, they beat Tampa Bay 5-2, yeah. Dominic yeah. Kubelik had a hat-trick. Yeah, but the only thing with Colorado is just, you know, A, it's back-to-back, so they go, they fly out to Chicago, do the game, and then they fly to Colorado, and I always I always feel there's an advantage for Colorado if, if someone's flying in and then you're at that altitude, and especially if you're back to backs and you had to travel, it's just yeah. I, it's you got a, a, a well rested Nathan McKinnon just blowing right by you. Yeah, look what he did to, to Lindholm. Yeah, look what he did to Lindholm when the Ducks had rest, and now they're going to go and they're tired, uh, yeah. coming off a hard game against Chicago, and he's just going to be ready to go. It's, it's, yeah, it's, right. It could be could be a nightmare, but but I, I'm you know no matter what, no matter the outcome of these games, I'm just interested to see if the effort is still there. You know, a such a small yeah, such a small sample size with just the one game against the Oilers, but hopefully you know, we continue, even if it's not goals or, or points for Milano and Heinen, if we just continue to see good play from them and, and, and see if they fit. I mean, obviously I, I would love for Milano to, to stay on that top line with Getzlaff and Raquel uh, and to kind of gain some chemistry there. Uh, and it would be nice to, to see Steele and, and Jones get going with Silverberg. I mean, obviously the hype is around Heinen and Milano right now, but you know the the young guys on this team need to start you know kind of increasing their production here. Steele and, and Jones aren't that much younger than Sonny Milano, uh, and I know he's been around the NHL a bit longer than they have. But it's time that they start kind of taking control of this team and and, and bumping up their production here. They're given more time in, in, in on ice and more time in the top nine than they have all year. So hopefully, yep. hopefully we see some kind of boon from production. For Tran- them. Yeah, a little transition. Yeah, time time for that next step. Let's take let's take that next step, boys. Yeah, I mean we saw it from Steele and Jones last year in the in the last twenty games of the season, especially Sam Steele. Like he went on a tear yeah. in the last stretch of the year, and Jones finally you know took the monkey off his back and got his first goal and started <laughs> playing really well. So. Hopefully we we see a nice uh, late stretch from here. Um, speaking of young guys, we talked about this or briefly mentioned it earlier. Troy Terry got sent mm-hmm. down to San Diego. was was starting to play pretty well. You know, obviously the points weren't still there, and that was part of of one of the reasons Dallas Aikens mentioned and why they sent him down there. The other thing he said, which I thought was interesting, is that when he played down there last year, he's kind of just an accomplice. He was just a good player yeah. on that team, but he wasn't you know a main guy. And he said, now what we like to try to take on is to be the guy to drive the program, take on a leadership role, and keep that team going in the right direction. An interesting mm-hmm. interesting comment from, from Aikens on Troy Terry there. Yeah, I think it says a lot where they, they like where his development has been with the big club. And at this point, I think they, they almost want to kind of like, hey, 
we see what we you know we like what we see in you obviously it's still early in your career but what would be a good thing to do now is let's nurture that be a bigger leader and take the you know that initiative in playing and make it work here see if you can't do something fun and get to the playoffs with um you know san diego and then next year that experience kind of helps you once again that next step in maturity and that next step in production because he's the one who's closest from what i've seen at taking that next step to being a, a bona fide regular with this team he's, he's done a great job since coming back from um his injury and his, his stint down um in uh, San Diego, he, he looks a lot better. Every time he goes down there, he seems to come back and is just, uh, you know, just a, a little bit better, a little bit better. So give him a little bit more time there. But uh, I can definitely see him being a much more regular player and a bigger threat offensively, creatively, too. So, yeah, I definitely don't think he needs to be down there in, in terms of like, I think he is almost too good for that league. Every time he goes yeah. down there, he, he plays well. But I like the approach from Dallas Aikens here is like, we're not sending him down there necessarily because he's not playing well. Like obviously the points are coming in the, in, in the NHL, but he's making an effort, but we're sending him down there to kind of become that guy, to become a bit more of a leader, to kind of commit more to the program, to, that to the team. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't think Troy Terry's ever going to be a leader or a guy who wears the A or the C on, on, on the ducks, but just kind of get that commitment from him to be a be that guy who who you know even even if he's not a leader in terms of a letter on this team to go down there and learn that and to come up and when anytime you're you're out there on any shift to just want to be that guy to want to have the puck on your stick to want to make plays happen i think that's what they're trying to instill in them and that that's confidence and and that's kind of commitment on on his own part and and i i think that's one thing that he's missing is that commitment and in that kind of want to be the guy when he's out there you know and, and I like the term accomplice where he you know I think he's been an accomplice with the Ducks this year he's just been a guy you know one of the guys out there you know if the puck's on his stick he'll try and make something happen but he's not looking to be the guy and if Troy Terry's going to be successful he needs to every time he's out there every shift he, he has he needs to be a guy that wants to have the puck on his stick because that's when Troy Terry is successful so I hope I hope he does it I, I honestly do because I think he can be an effective player for this team going forward but he needs to take that next step and, and it's a bit harder I think for him other than you know Jones and Comtois Steele to take that step because I feel compared to all of them Troy Terry is a bit more one-dimensional like Jones has his size and his speed yes. Sam Steele's a good two-way center Maxime Comtois also uses his body to be a bit more of a power forward Troy Terry is if he's not putting up points and he's not making plays I'm not saying he's not doing anything but it's harder to notice his you know the other assets he brings to the game he's a playmaker and he, he's got to make plays exactly yep um Let's break down a bit of the injuries here. Um, obviously, Eric Branson and Cam Fowler are still on the IR. Uh, an update on them was that they're both going to be out about two more weeks. So no, you know, no concrete. I don't think they're going to have to rush them back. There's no point, um, yeah. especially Cam Fowler. You're not going to, you're not going to try and rush him back anytime soon. But man, the, the injuries keep piling up on the blue line. The Ducks were healthy for a bit there, but then uh, <laughs> Branson went down. Fowler went down for a nagging uh, injury. And then Hampus Lindholm, uh, nasty-looking injury in the game against the Oilers, went in left shoulder first into the boards. And um, we've had a guy, um, 
not just tweeting us, but he's been you know kind of tweeting um, about a couple different teams this year. I'm gonna find the tweet now, but he's a doctor. I want to I want to get his name correct here. Uh, doctor Harjes Grewal. Uh, he's like nope. made this commitment this year to kind of quote tweet and 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 weigh in on on possible injuries before injuries, they're announced. Yeah. Um, so he said it appears to be a separated separate shoulder, shoulder for Hampus Lindholm, which carries a yeah. Have to be a doctor to see that. No, for sure. But I mean, it helps to have yeah, a, okay. somebody who and he may he be the, wrong. Blue check mark in the yeah. Twitter. I don't. Well, okay. He 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 may be wrong completely, but he he says it could be a separated shoulder anywhere from ten to fourteen days minimum absence, uh, less likely but possible is a broken collarbone. So. Uh, knowing the Ducks, we won't get we'll get upper body injury, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, we won't hear much more uh, until, until later season. down the road. Yeah, yeah. but uh, potentially, potentially season ending for for Hampus Lindholm. You know, anything right now uh, that's four weeks plus takes you to basically the end of the year. You know, end of March, early April, and at that point, what's what is the you know the point in bringing him back for the last two or three games of the season? You might as well just shut him down. Uh, and make sure he's fully healthy going into next year, right? And give so. everyone else a look. See, see, see what you like with the newer guys coming in. Yep, uh, exactly. Let's – couple more things. I'm going to edit it real quick here. But there's a couple comments from Bob Murray uh, I wanted to get into, specifically about the, the young core and how the next 20 games here are going to tell him about the player and kind of what his plans are for the summer. So this was on the young players and his lack of, or his concern and lack of leadership from the group that is 25 to 29 years old said the next 20 games are going to tell us about our young players. We've definitely improved our speed and skill. Now we'll see how the pieces fit. It'll be interesting to see with our young guys, what form uh, the team takes and where we have to go in the summer. So, a bit, and, and I'm sorry, he continues here and says, I think the next 20 games or whatever we've got left is going to tell us a lot about some of our players and, and some of the players that we have in this team. We've definitely improved our speed and skill, uh, and, and now it's where the pieces fit. So it, it kind of seems like two things here. Wants to see how the young players are, are going to take a step forward, like we mentioned. You know, Jones, Steele, um, you know, if Terry comes back up, if Comtois gets a chance, needs to kind of see how their development's going to go. And, and also a bit of a shot at, uh, you know, Silverberg is 29, Fowler who's 28, Manson who's 28, Lindholm who's 26, and Raquel who's 26 to say, man, like, you guys got to step it up or, or yeah. I'm going to trade you. Like, you've, you've got to show me that you belong. And you remember last year he made these comments and Brandon Montour got traded. You know, he yeah. said the, the group around 23 to 28, I'm not impressed by them, and they traded – Brandon Montour and you know, we traded Andre Kasha who's 24 this year as well I think you know these are the final five guys that if he doesn't feel they're going to be a part of the long-term future I think you know after these next 20 games if, if he sees something he doesn't like he'll be more open to trading some of these guys yeah I mean you're only going to let them go for as long as you're you're prepared to do it and if they're not going to show you kind of that well we're the next wave because Getzloff I mean Ketzloff's days kind of numbered here, so just because uh, you got that A on there, I mean, doesn't mean that you're you're that material. So I mean, you you got to kind of show it to him or prove it to him. So, you know, it's tough. It doesn't seem like we have like you know a precise leader. I don't know. I, I'm not sure who's going to be the next captain. I mean, you just you know, it's either you get the, the quiet captain or you know, I think Bob Murray wants to see a more more vocal, determined you know, captain in there. So I think he's like, he's, he's waiting to see who's going to be captain. And if he can't find anyone who's going to be there, then he doesn't want a whole bunch of alternates or assistants. He wants, 
he's going to try and find a, a guy who's going to do it. I think he's actually, I take it back. He's going to give it to Manson. Yeah. I, I, think so. <laughs> I mean, but Man- Manson's one of those guys where there's work. interest in him. And yeah. um, if things do, I mean, he played good in the Edmonton game, but if things don't go the way Murray wants, like I think Manson is probably at the top of that list. I, I think, you know, Raquel could be right up there too. I think, you know, I don't want to say his time's running out because I really like Ricard Raquel and I love his contract. And I think, you know, in, in a better team, I I think he'd be a player that can take a step forward and get back to 30 goals. But he could be one of those guys that, that Murray's talking about that needs to take a step forward this year because he's been a bit inconsistent this year uh, and has been a guy that at times we thought was doing really well and was getting back to be the guy we expected. And, and as of late, just really hasn't been able to put up the points. And, and similar to what we said in, in, with Troy Terry, if Raquel's not putting up points, there's somewhere. a problem. Like, you, you, like this is this is what he's kind of paid to do, even though he's on a great contract. Like, this is what he's here for, is to put up points and put the puck in the back of the net. And meanwhile, you've got Adam, Adam Henrique, who's making no excuses and has put up 24 goals. You know, he's not making excuses that they're they're a bad team and, and you know, his production's yeah. down because the, the, the team's not playing well. Raquel Arguably has a bigger responsibility of being exactly, Raquel and he's work. got less opportunities. I mean, he's playing less minutes than Raquel. Presumably, I'd have to double check that, but he's not playing on the top line. He's playing a second line role. You know, Ricard Raquel's still getting first power play time. Like this is a guy that is getting every opportunity that Adam Henrique's getting, if not more, and isn't putting up the points. So I, I think you know yeah. he's a guy that's kind of at the forefront of that that needs to really step things up. I don't think he should be traded. He's a great yeah. player. He's a great guy to have around the team, but he he needs to take a step forward here and prove to, to the management, the coaching staff, that he can be that guy. Yeah, because it seemed like that signing for what we signed him for was a great signing. Now it looks like a pretty good signing, you know, a good, decent signing with, you know, not, not a whole lot, and especially for the potential, but you're just like, man, that was supposed to be a great knock-it-out-of-the-park signing, but we're just not seeing the, the offensive upside from it. So I think Murray's a little pissed. Like, come on, it's supposed to look really good. It's not looking that good. You're not you're not making me look that great. Yeah. I want to be um, <laughs> We hope he turns around. But one one guy, last kind of topic I want to get to here because it was mentioned in the chat, Maxime Comtois has been absolutely tearing it up for San Diego mm-hmm. over the last little bit. He was named AHL Player of the Week last week. He had five goals in five straight, six goals and two assists for eight points over that five-game stretch. Nice to see him figuring things out for things going well with San Diego. Uh, we talked a bit on the last show how maybe he's working his way back to, to getting into the Ducks lineup. A, a bit tough now you know, it, yeah. with Sonny Milano here and Danton Heinen here and Max Jones. Like I think if only reason, only way come to I think gets back in is if Max Andrews. Jones goes down to San Diego, uh, or if Kiefer Sherwood goes back and Comtois the one who comes up. I think that's a bit more uh, likely scenario where you know Sherwood going back down and the way he was producing for San Diego can kind of offset what Comtois has been doing lately. Yeah. I think I think that's the way Comtois gets back up. I don't think it's out of the question. I think if Sherwood's the guy going back down, Comtois very well could be given a last you know little ten game stretch here to see how he can do I mean he he hasn't out of all four of the young players he's not been given that much of a look this year so it would be nice to, to at least see him get another chance before the season's over yeah there I just let him build up that opportunity in uh, San Diego to get them in the playoffs and see what he can do so either way it doesn't really matter as much as as far as a big impact but 
keep doing what you're doing. You're doing good in the AHL, and you keep that up, and for sure be back in the NHL at some point. Definitely going to get another shot. Uh, Nat asked in the chat, how old is Kiefer Sherwood? Is he I think he's like 24. 24, I think. I'm going to check yeah, that out. Yeah, I believe out. so. I think so. Let's, uh, yeah, he's 24. He's 24. Nailed he'll be it. 20. He'll be 25 um, before the season's over. His birthday's March yeah. 31st. So almost there. Yeah, definitely, definitely has some time. And uh, one guy I want to mention because we're talking about young players to kind of wrap up the show here. Trevor Zegras has three games left in this regular season. Uh, the regular season for Boston University ends on March Saturday, March 7th against Northeastern, and then they'll move into playoff hockey. Uh, depending on how that goes for Boston University, Trevor Zegras might be here as early as sometime to mid to late March, potentially. I don't know when the playoffs start for them, but there is a chance that he obviously has to sign his entry-level contract first. But, yeah. man, like he's got 33 points in 30 games for Boston University. He's third third in um, in freshman scoring in terms of points per game. He's above Cole Caulfield, only behind Alex Newhook and Nick Abruzzese from Harvard. There's a there's a you know there's a clear indicator that he's probably too good to go back for a second year to Harvard. And obviously, we remember the interview we did with him and the comments that he made was that he you know did was kind of planning on being a one and done, and, and he would see how things go this year. And, and I think with the way things are going, I, I honestly cannot see him going back for a second year. I just don't see the benefit to him as a player and I can't see management advising him to go back for a second year with the way he's been producing. Like this is a guy I, I fully think the Ducks will sign him to an entry level contract. Hopefully and, and I don't want to, you know, wish ill on his team and hope they, they go out uh they go out in the playoffs uh, here. But uh, <laughs> I really hope he uh he gets a chance to play at least a couple games for the Ducks this year. We can get a small taste of what we can expect for next year. Yes, Zegras watch. 2020. Zegras watch is in full effect after March 7th. <laughs> and then uh, then we'll be hoping he gets a couple games in. All right, that does it for the show. Uh, we just hit the hour mark here, so we're going to close it out. Um, just a quick kind of a, a, a note on where the podcast will be after this. won't really change for you if you get it through iTunes, through Spotify, um, through Google Podcasts. Nothing's going to change. We're just moving our hosting platform over from Spreaker uh, to Simplecast. We've joined up with Blue Wire Podcast to be on their network. We think that's going to be really beneficial for our podcast. Uh, nothing, like I said, live show's not going to change. You're really not going to see the change too much. Um, just hopefully it's going to be a nice platform where we can continue to grow the show and, and you know, we love what the guys over at Blue Wire are doing, so we're hoping that that can be a, a nice way for us to continue to grow this and continue to put out the best product for you guys. Happy to be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know Jay's got to go. I got to go. It's getting late. Uh, we'll be back um, with the duck schedule probably sometime around Tuesday to Thursday, Thursday next week. Either Tuesday or Thursday. Try yeah. not to do it on days. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a, a, the back-to-back kind of makes it difficult. But uh, we'll let you guys know. We'll put it out on social media for everybody in our Discord chat. We'll put it out there. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Right, bye, guys.